Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Well, welcome everybody. We're in uh, The Great Adventure Part 2. That's the second section of the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is about, uh, the second section is about planting churches and going around the uh, world and making a difference through the Apostle Paul's ministry. So that's what we've been studying. I just started on that last week, diving into that. Hey, listen, want to welcome our podcast listeners. We have over 200 people that subscribe to the podcast, actually get the podcast, come to their uh, inbox. So uh, our podcast listeners, thank you so much for uh, listening and being a part of this. Uh, Last Sunday, uh, our, our live streamed our Facebook community, Facebook Live. Right now we have Facebook Live that's watching us. We had over 300 people that watched Facebook Live last weekend, so that was an amazing thing. We had people listening from Pennsylvania, Texas, Tennessee, and many other states. And we want to say hello to Anita Ferguson and Cheryl Robinson from Salem, Missouri that were listening last week. So thank you for listening all the way from Missouri and uh, also Dan Ringer from uh, uh, St. Augustine, Florida. So uh, welcome to the podcast and welcome to Facebook Live. So we're grateful for that. So listen, we're at a very, very important section of the book of Acts today. I can't tell you how excited I am about talking about this today. Uh, Acts 15 is absolutely amazing. It's like the epicenter of the universe of the New Testament. Acts 15 is so, so important. Uh, Years ago, I remember uh, we had the power team here and had thousand people here one night and uh, I invited the governor to come which was Mike Castle at that point not Mike Castle um, Tom Carper and Tom Carper came to Bayshore landed uh, his helicopter in the field next door and we brought him in here and brought him on the stage and he said when he got up here he said tonight Gumboro is the center of the universe I thought, wow, what a politician. That is amazing. What a great thing to say. But when you think about what is the center of the New Testament, Acts 15 has got to be the center. It's so important because it, it's a pivotal point in the book of Acts. So uh, let, me, let me read to you uh, part of it, and then we're going to dive into some really, really important stuff today. Acts 15, verses 1 through 35. And here's what it says. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch, Uh, And we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made the brothers very glad. When, the, when they came to Jerusalem, they, welcomed by the, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers, verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, These, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. 
After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they had finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Some has des- Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles the people for himself. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write them, write them, telling them to abstain from food polluted to idols and from sexual immorality and from meat of strangled animals and from blood. For Moses had been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogue on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch and Barnabas with Paul and, pa- Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Barabbas. Asabas and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers, with them they sent the following letter. The apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the Gentiles, believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. Men have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we, uh, therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm the word of mouth, what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are abstained from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You would do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So this is huge. The reason that this is huge is because the church is at a turning point. This is a big thing. So when the church started... Uh, Christianity was formed, church started with the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. The church was all made of Jewish people, all Jewish people. Everybody, uh, basically, on the day of Pentecost, they were Jewish people. So, so you got this sort of uh, ethnic kind of based Jewish church. Something began to change, though. The Holy Spirit began to move, and it was always God's plan that salvation wouldn't just, just be for Jewish people, but be, would be for the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So what happened was, all of a sudden, all these Gentiles, non-Jewish people, began to come to faith. Now, it happened in Acts chapter 10. Peter went to Caesarea. He starts preaching. He's in the middle of his message, and he doesn't know, you know, he's not even through his second point. Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit falls on the crowd, the house is packed with people, Holy Spirit falls, these people begin to speak in tongues, the Holy Spirit changes them, and Peter's looking at this, hey, this is exactly what happened to us Jewish people, so he said, who am I to argue with God, and he took him out and he baptized him, so all Gentile people got saved then. Then you got 
Paul and Barnabas, they're traveling in uh, Asia Minor and they're preaching and all these Gentiles are getting saved. So what do you do with all these Gentiles? You got, you got Gentiles that are coming in to the church, so what is required of them? Before, it had all been Jewish people that went to the synagogue, that knew the law of Moses, they were all circumcised. Now you got this whole aberration, you got this whole different group that's coming to the church, so the church wasn't sure what to do with them. So they thought, well, do these people need to be, do they need to keep the law of Moses? Do they need to, you know, uh, memorize the Ten Commandments and keep those 620 laws in the Old Testament? Do they, do, they, do they need to be circumcised? The men need to be circumcised? So that was the question at play. So they didn't know what to do with the Gentiles. I went to this church in uh, Florida when I was in college, and the church, uh, I was there in the 80s, but in the church's early history in the 70s, the church was growing in Pensacola, Florida, and uh, during the Jesus movement, now the Jesus movement was when all these hippies uh, back in the 70s uh, found Jesus, and they were like the, uh, the Christian version of Woodstock, and all these Christian bands came out of that. And so how many here, you, you were a hippie in the 70s? You were a hippie. Just raise your hand, 70s, 60s. Anybody know who hippies are? Just raise your hand. You know, Randy Bethke has got to have been a hippie. You got, you got hippies, uh, you know, just wild people, you know. And uh, I, I was, you know, I was trying to be a hippie as long as my dad would let my hair grow. And I was uh, trying to grow my hair. And I used to have long hair. And that's hard for you to imagine. And every once in a while, I just kind of do this for old memory sakes, you know. And, uh, but uh, these hippies came to the church in Pensacola that, that, that I went to in college. And uh, they came with bell bottoms, you know, they had the bell bottoms and, and they didn't wear shoes and their feet were dirty. And when in the, in the late 60s and 70s, bell bottoms, you would wear them long. So you would drag them in the dirt and they would kind of wear out and you would, you know, you'd kind of like, you know, look unkept and long hair and a beard. And so all these hippies who found Jesus came to this Baptist church that was sort of, you know, half charismatic, half Baptist. They had, you know, nice uh, carpet and nice pews and chairs and all that. And these hippies came and they wouldn't even sit in the pews or the chairs. And they just would go up front and they would sit, hundreds of them would sit in front of the platform on the floor with their legs crossed and dirty feet, uh, long hair. They didn't look like church people. Jesus Christ superstar. They were those people. And uh, so that church had to decide, what are we going to do with these hippies coming into our church? What are we going to handle that? And and, uh, to their credit, that church embraced those hippies and just brought them in. And the Bible college I was a part of was formed out of that. So incredible thing. So this is the same thing the church in Jerusalem is dealing with. The church, you know, what do we do with these Gentiles that are coming to faith in Jesus? And what are we going to do with them? Do they need, the, the, the debate is, do they need to keep the law? They've accepted Jesus, but is that enough? They've accepted Jesus, but is that enough? They've accepted Jesus, but maybe they need to keep the law. They need to come to synagogue, and they need to be circumcised. So is it enough? That was the debate. And so Paul, you know, him and Barnabas, they're preaching about Jesus. They're not saying you got to keep the law. They're not saying you got to, you know, do any of this stuff. They're just preaching about Jesus, and people are coming to the Lord. And then they're up in Antioch. That's where Paul and Barnabas are. That's kind of north of Jerusalem, about 300 miles from Jerusalem, I believe. And, and so these Judaizers, these uh, Jewish-oriented Christians that come up there, and they said to Paul's followers, his disciples, hey, that, hey that's great you found Jesus. That's not enough. You've got you to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law. 
like those hippies. You got to get rid of those bell-bottom jeans. You got to you got to uh, you got to put a suit on. You got to you know put a tie on. That was the that was the issue. That kind of thing. So this it says it brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute with them. They started arguing, and they were like debating that. And so Paul and Barnabas, along with some other people from Antioch, go down to Jerusalem, and they get together with the apostles. These are the original followers of Jesus. And they get together with James, and they talk about this, and they're all excited. Paul's all excited about these Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus. And here's what they concluded. They concluded that if you're a Gentile and you come to faith in Jesus, you don't need to be circumcised. And you don't need to keep the 620 laws of the Old Testament, the ceremonial laws, the civil laws, the moral, and the moral laws actually are still a part of our life as Jesus works in our life. But the 620 laws, all those ceremonials, you don't have to keep those, and you don't have to be circumcised. And it's just Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. This is a wonderful moment for the church. And the church could have gone this way. The church could have said, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the Ten Commandments. Or the church could have said, you know, what they did. The church said, listen, it's Jesus is enough. And he is the, when Jesus was on the cross, he said it's finished. What he means by when he said it's finished, there's nothing else you need to do or I need to do in order to be saved. Now, that's a hard thing for us to swallow because we think, well, we ought to do something. Hey, listen, you know what my part in salvation is? My part in salvation is gratitude. Gratitude. Jesus, I don't deserve this. I thank you that you saved me. How many know you are are a wretch? You needed Jesus to save you, and you need to be full of gratitude because what he's done for you. Can you say a big amen? That's my deal. Now, here's what's important about this chapter. This is what's important about this chapter. Chapter 15 of Acts is is the first church council where they decided what the right thing to believe was. The wrong thing to believe was was salvation plus all these other things. That was wrong. The right thing to believe was Jesus was enough, not circumcision and not Old Testament added to that. So that's important. Now here's why that's important for us. And that's why this is important for us in America. It matters what you believe Doctrine and faith, specific faith and the right things matters. Now, why that's a problem for us in America is because we don't tend to think that way. We tend to think tolerance, non-bigotry, and all about that. I'm about tolerance, and I don't want to be a bigot and all that. I totally get that. But when you come to what Jesus is teaching in the New Testament and what you see in this chapter, they are saying that if you believe the wrong thing, that's not a good thing. You need to believe the right thing. It matters what you believe. So my friends that I hang out with, some of the friends that, that I, you know, hang out with that, don't, uh, that really don't know Jesus yet, you know, the, the spirit that they've imbibed from our culture is, listen, listen, if you believe in something, hey, good for you. Good for you if you believe in something. That's great. One friend I love dearly, just one of my best friends, recently left a good, you know, well, not recently, but he moved down here a while uh, years ago and went to some church that was preaching the Bible and teaching about Jesus and the doctrine and all that and, you know, and just teaching the Bible. He explained the church to me and it sounded like they're pretty much like us, teaching the Bible and all that. He said, ah, I don't believe in all that, man. I want to go to a church that they just accept everything. So he went to a Unitarian church, and the Unitarian church said, listen, all religions, uh, Buddhism, Islam, whatever you are, it doesn't matter to us. Come in here. We're all good. 
And, he, and he, that's what he embraced. And so I checked the church up on the website. And you know what? Whatever. The spirit of love in the universe. Whatever you want to believe. And so you know what I believe? I believe that in America, what I love about America is that you can, you can uh, have any religion you want in America. You, know, you can set up a temple. You can set up a, a, a Buddhist temple. You can set up a Hindu temple. You can, you can be, uh, have a, uh, a mosque. America is not a bigoted country. You can set up any religion you want. I heard of a, a, a church that, you know, that they worship like Elvis Presley and they open up with uh, nothing like a hound dog. They sing that every week, you know. So, you know, I just, you know, hey, I think that's wonderful. And I believe in freedom of religion in America, but just because we have a right to freedom of religion doesn't mean that every religion is right. And this text teaches us that the early church wrestled with what the right thing to believe was, because it matters what you believe. Here's what I think is odd about our country. Our country believes that whatever, whatever you believe is okay, but sometimes you have one religion next to another religion, and they believe mutually exclusive things. They believe opposite things. So that tells me that both of those things cannot be right. How many, you're not the smartest person in the world, you're not the brightest light in the marquee of life, but how many know that two things can't be, one thing, two things can't be right at the same time, I mean, if you've got one thing that says one thing, you know, like put, let's put a picture of an apple on the screen here. This is an absolutely ridiculous illustration. That's an apple. How many know that's an apple? You, you sound unsure about that. <laughs> this, is, this is an apple. This is an apple. This apple cannot be an apple and an orange at the same time. It cannot. How many are tracking with me? If I'm going too fast, just let me know. How many know? That is true. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Islam. Now, I, you know what? We should always remember, you know, people in our culture, sometimes they, they put all Muslims in one box and they say they're all terrorists and all that. It's absolutely wrong. You know, there's lots of good, hardworking, educated, smart Muslims. The, the, the most populated uh, Muslim country in the world is not Saudi Arabia. It's Indonesia, very modern cities and all that. And so uh, Muslims, you know, I, we should love Muslims and all that. Uh, but, but Muslims believe very different things than a Christian would believe. Very different things. So what I'm saying is, they have a right to believe that. They have a right to do that in America. But just because they have that right doesn't make their religion right. That's what I'm trying to convey today. Let me put a little, let me put a little uh, thing on here about the difference between Muslims and Christians. Muslims believe Jesus is not God. This is very fundamental. Muslims believe that Jesus is not God. Uh, they say, you know, the five pillars of Muslim, Islam is, you know, um, Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet. That's the first thing they say every day. And uh, they believe that Jesus is a prophet. He's a prophet and he's not the greatest prophet. Muhammad is the greatest prophet. So Christians believe that Jesus is God. We, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, very clear, the eternal Son of God. There was never a time when Jesus was, was uh, not in existence. Jesus has, is like the Father. He's eternally existent. It says in, you know, in John chapter 1, and then in the epistles, especially Colossians, you know, he's, he's eternal. So Muslims say Jesus is not God. Christians say Jesus is God. What is true is these things cannot both be true at the same time. 
So when I talk about, when we talk about religions, freedom of religion in America, we have to say, okay, that's fine, I believe in that, but you have to be honest enough and intellectual enough to say these two things are not true at the same time. Somebody is wrong. Somebody is wrong. How many know that's, that's not, we don't like to say that, but sometimes just somebody is wrong. Somebody's wrong. So here's another thing about Muslims that are different, and I'm just, I'm just using them as an example. Um, another thing, the next thing here. Muslims believe Jesus did not die on the cross. Christians believe Jesus did die on the cross. We know that from the apostles and also three different extra-biblical uh, sources in history, Roman history, that shows us that Jesus died on the cross. We know historically he died on the cross. Muslims don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. What they believe is, is Jesus was on his way to the cross, God rescued Jesus, took him up so he didn't go to the cross, and Judas died on the cross instead of Jesus. And that's what they believe. We believe, historically, because the apostles said they saw him, he was, he was crucified on the cross, and we have 1 Corinthians 15, we have all that, but Jesus died on the cross. Muslims say Jesus did not die on the cross. Christians say Jesus did die on the cross. These two things cannot both be true at the same time. So just say this way, two things that are opposite, cannot be true at the same time. So Karen and I, I think it was last Sunday, after church, we went down to the beach and we got something to eat and we're walking on the boardwalk and, uh, and Karen wanted to go to some little tea shop. They got a little tea shop there on Rehoboth Avenue. They sell, you know, tea that's like $40 a bag or something. I mean, it's like <laughs> unbelievable. You got to be kidding. I mean, whew. So we should want to go that. We walked by and there was this... Uh, there was this Jehovah's Witness guy out there, standing there, and he has little, little racks of Watchtower uh, magazines there. And he had that up there, and, and, uh, and he has his coat on. It was cold, and he was out there with his hat. Nicest guy in the world. I'm telling you, nicest guy. I mean, it just reminded me of somebody I knew, one of my friends. And he was just a smiley, nice guy, and he waved, and, and you know, we waved and all that. And, and uh, you know, I think it's great. In America, you got the right to do that. You can put your watchtower thing up right there on the boardwalk in Rehoboth. I will always support that. That's a good thing. And when I went by, I didn't knock over his watchtower thing. I didn't do that. I didn't even think about that. But you know what? I walked by him. I knew, I knew what he believed. He believed something so different than what I believe. He believed, here's what he believes. He believes that Jesus was a created being. He was created by God, and he was created as Michael the Archangel. He was not the he was he was created as Michael the Archangel. And, and, and he believes, this guy believes also, that when, when, when somebody dies, that they're, they go out of existence. They, they're deleted. Until uh, sometime in the future, billions of people are raised from the dead, and they're raised from the dead, and they get a little short time to prove if they're faithful, and if they're faithful, they get to live either as the other sheep on the earth or the 144,000 in uh, heaven and the ruling class. And if you're, not, if, you're not a part, if you're not a part of that Jehovah's Witness thing, you already have the delete button on you. You have to be a Jehovah's Witness or you're going to be deleted. So I know that's what he believes. I know he doesn't believe in the Trinity. I know certain things he doesn't believe in. He believes, this guy believes, the sweetest guy in the world, nicest smile in the world. And I just think he's a great guy. I think we could be friends. He said, you know, I know what he believes. He believes that Jesus came back in 1914. Spiritually, Jesus came back in 1914. Right in the middle of World War I. I don't know why Jesus didn't straighten that out. But anyhow, that's when Jesus came back, 1914. So listen, he believes all that. And I believe... With the apostles and their record of seeing Jesus and walking with Jesus, we both cannot be tr- 
right at the same time. So tolerance is one thing. Freedom of religion is another thing. But Acts 15 says it matters what we believe, and they got it right because it's Jesus alone that gives us salvation. Can you say big amen? amen. Now, so just say, how many of you have those cars that you just have like something in your pocket and you push a button and your car starts? You don't have to put the key in. How many have those cars? Just raise your hand up real high. These are the more prosperous members of our congregation right here. <laughs> Now, how many have the other kind of key? I got a 2015 Tacoma pickup, and I got to put it in. How many got one of those? Just raise your hand. If you got, you got, a, you got a car or truck, you got to put the key in. So just say, you guys, you guys with these kind of keys. When you came into church today, we throw all the keys in a box. You know, in order to come in, you got to throw your key in the box. You throw it in the box. And then, you know, one of our ushers, they just shake it up. You listen to the sermon. You go through the church thing. And when you get, you know, you get done, you go out there and you just reach in to the box and you grab a key. You grab a key and go out there and get in your car, your truck, try to start it. And the chances of you getting the wrong key are really, really big. And that's what world religions are. World religions are, hey, listen, it just doesn't matter what key I have. I'm going to be okay. But Jesus said, it's, it's, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And is, 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 I've been educated at the University of Delaware, educated in Salisbury University. I, have, I, I, I love education. I've been in a pluralistic society my whole life. And I, I understand it. I know it. But when I read this New Testament, this New Testament says there is a way to get to heaven. Jesus was the only way that would satisfy the righteousness of a holy God. Jesus came and he, he didn't get rescued from the cross as the Muslim thinks he went to the cross and he was on the cross for six hours and he shed his blood for my sin and I deserved uh, the judgment that he was getting and I put my faith in him and that's how I'm saved now faith and belief is not enough faith and belief is not enough we 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 have idolized faith you believe in something. That's good. Good for you. Faith must be specific. Uh, Acts 16.31. Acts 16.31 says this. Acts 16.31. They replied. This is Paul and Silas talking to the Philippian jailer. They replied, believe the preposition. Believe in. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There has to be a focus of your faith. And your focus has to be on Jesus, not on circumcision, not on keeping the law, not on trying to be a good person. Uh, one of my friends, he's just constantly, he's doing all these great things and I love it. And I'm saying, man, you inspire me. You're doing all these good things. And my fear for my friend is, is that all these efforts, all these good things is his way of trying to present him right before God. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how good you are, how, try, how good you try to be, it has to be the perfection, the righteous perfection of Jesus. Believe, and everybody say, in. You go, it's, what is the in you're believing in? If you're believing in the wrong thing, you won't be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Isn't that good? Say it when you believe in. Say it one more time. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So the gospel, the New Testament, 
And the reason that we have all the world religions, uh, Buddhism, Buddhism is very interesting, you know, it doesn't really believe in a God, but self-enlightenment, you know, I don't know if you know about this Buddha, about Buddha, this is just totally irrelevant, but I just thought of it. And I guess I wanted you to know I knew it. So here it is. Uh, You know, Buddha was a deadbeat dad. You know, he left his wife with her newborn and went in search of enlightenment. I mean, whenever I study Buddha and I look at Buddha, the little, I think in diet a lot of times, so I look at him. uh, But, you know, it's inspiring, inspiring. But I always think about he left in the middle of the night, left his wife with an infant in search of truth. And never came back. I think he should have stayed home and take care of his baby. Anyhow, anyway, I don't know what that maybe uh, you know, anyhow, we may take that out of the whole recording thing. I don't know anyway. <laughs> so uh, that's an important thing. So how did this take place? Let me get let me uh, put the landing gear down here. How did they make a decision in Acts chapter 15? You know, they had the debate, uh, Jesus plus circumcision, Old Testament. Or Jesus plus nothing. They had the debate. Peter told the story. And I was preaching and the Holy Spirit came. And I mean, wow. I mean, what are we supposed to say to that? Then Paul and Barnabas said, well, we've been all, the, all over Turkey, all over Asia Minor. I mean, every place we go, every city we go, these Gentiles are getting saved. Miracles are happening. We were in Lystra and a man couldn't walk. We laid hands on him. He got up and walked. People got mad, threw stones at me, almost killed me, may have killed me. And, you know, we kept preaching the gospel and all these Gentiles are coming to faith. And they get all that out there. And then James, James pulls it all together. Now, who is this James? This is not James, one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, Who is this James? This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. The half-brother of Jesus was the leader of the early church. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't Paul. It was James, the half-brother of Jesus, who says in John chapter 7, when Jesus was ministering, that his brothers didn't believe in him. They thought he was a nutcase. Then it says in 1 Corinthians 15, that on the resurrection of Jesus resurrected, he appeared to Peter and he appeared to James. He appeared to his brother. And James was convinced his brother was the son of God. Let me ask you a question. What would your brother have to do to convince you he was the son of God? He was absolutely convinced his brother was the son of God. What happened to James? Well, they took James and put him up on the temple after years, about 30, 40 years of ministry, put him on the temple, threw him down from the temple and clubbed him to death. He believed that Jesus was the son of God. He believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. He was the leader of the early church. He pulls it all together. He said, it's my opinion. We've heard what Peter said. And he said, the Old Testament book of Amos chapter 9, verses 11, 12 says, In the last days God will raise up David's fallen tent. And from that fallen tent, all the remnant of mankind or the rest of mankind will believe. And that's clear indication of the Gentiles coming to faith. He said, it's my opinion. It's my opinion that we should not make it hard on the Gentiles. We tell them not to you know, eat food sacrificed to idols because that's going to offend the Jewish people. Don't do that. Don't eat foods, uh, you know, sacrificed to idols and don't eat food with blood in it. Don't do that because that's, you know, that's offensive to Jewish people. And sexual immorality, they need to quit that because they, the, the ancient world, they were just very promiscuous. I mean, they felt like you could sleep with anybody. So we should tell them not to do that. But beyond that, it's just Jesus. 
It's Jesus. It's just Jesus. And so he concluded. They wrote a letter. They sent it out, and everybody was thrilled because they heard, especially the men, the Gentile men, they were excited. They didn't have to be circumcised. It was really incredible. That was funny, I thought, but maybe not so much. (laughs) But they found out that it was only Jesus, only through Jesus, that salvation. Let me put this on the screen, the formula for salvation uh, of how they looked at it. They, the old Judaizers that came to try to disrupt it said, Jesus plus circumcision plus keeping the law equals salvation. What the New Testament concluded was, Jesus plus zero equals salvation. Say it with me. Jesus plus zero equals salvation. So I was at uh, Dick's Sporting Goods store the other day, and I was uh, I'm interested in a kayak. I'm thinking about buying a kayak, you know. Uh, you know, I just think I'd like to have a kayak. So I've been looking. I looked last year. So I was out there at Dick's, and I, was, I found this kayak I like. It's a field and stream kayak, and it's a little back. It's got good support, and I was looking at it, checking out, and checking the price tag, and ooh, oh, a little much. So I look at the other kayaks going down, and come back to the kayak I really like, looked at the the price, and Karen was there, and I, I turned it around. I didn't want her to see the price, but anyhow, uh, something interesting. Every, everything in there had a price, and I was thinking about this. What if there was a sin store that just sold sin? You know, sin store. You know, go in, it just says sin store. You go in, you got, you got your lust section. You got everything, you know, your lust section. You got your anger section. You got a whole section on anger, bitterness, and you got jealousy. You got greed. You got a section for everything. And every, every little item you look at, it's got a price tag on it. And they're even running a special, 10 sins for, you know, a certain amount. What if there was a sin store? Now, that kayak had a certain price. And if you go to the sin store and you look at the tag on the sins, what's the price? The price is the same for every item. The price is death. It says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Karen asked me the other night, she was getting ready for her, her ladies group thing, and she said, she said, tell me why Jesus died on the cross. So I gave her this long answer. And she said, that's way too theological. That's not going to work. She said, try again. I said, Jesus died on the cross to pay our debt of sin. She said, that works. Now, if I were to get that kayak and I pay half and I start out the door, they're going to reel me in. You're going to see me on the WCO News. Pastor tries to steal kayak in Salisbury. You've got to pay for the whole thing. When Jesus died on the cross, the last thing he said, he said, it's finished. I paid everything. There's nothing you have to pay. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep these rituals in the Old Testament. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And Jesus is the key and the way to be saved. Would you lift your hands to the Lord this morning? Just thanking him for your, his love for you. Thanking, you, thanking the Lord for the good news. The good news is, I can imagine these Gentiles in the early church as they heard the good news, they read that letter. It's Jesus plus nothing. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do all this. 
You can just celebrate the goodness of God. You can worship the Lord because He loves you enough to redeem you. You could walk in that kind of freedom. They were so happy. And we joined together with them because we've been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. And Lord, we believe specifically in you. We don't just believe in something. We believe in something particular. We believe in you, Jesus. If you're here this morning, as I pray my final prayer this morning, and you'd like to receive the Lord, you'd like for Jesus to be a part of your life, just kind of wave your hand right now and say, Pastor Danny, would you pray for me? I see several people, many people waving their hands. Let's pray this out loud together with our hands raised. Christians and people that are receiving Jesus right now, let's believe it in our heart. Let's say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. You're the exclusive way for me to know God and to have eternal life. I thank you, Jesus, that you did die on the cross for me. You paid for my sin and my wickedness. I believe in you as a son of God, and I make you Lord of my life. And now just thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit coming into your life right now, right at this moment, right where you are in your chair. It, it may be like a dramatic thing. It may be a very gentle thing, but the Holy Spirit coming into your life right now, making you a new person, making you new inside. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything becomes new. As we lift our hands to the Lord one more time, just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me and for the freedom I have in you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen.